Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Spirit of God, pour out. 
bring our shame, you bring redemption. And you turn our chains into our freedom. Where your love is found, there will be no fear. God, your kingdom come, your
may be seated. And good morning, Fusion family. Oh, I've been gone two weeks. Can I get a little better? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That's good. It is good to be back. I'm Pastor JB. If I haven't met you, would love that opportunity. We've been gone for a couple weeks in California visiting Yvonne's family, um, and that was wonderful um, and, and glorious in a lot of ways, but it is good to be back home. And one of the things that we're uh, increasingly being grateful for is that fusion is more and more feeling like home. And this is such a wonderful community, and we're so excited to be a part of it. A couple of announcements. First of all, kids, you can be dismissed for children's worship. Uh, follow April out the door that way. Parents, if you want to walk them that way, that's fine. Uh, a couple other things just to be aware of. Thank you. Continue to thank you for your continued generosity in this season. You can continue to give uh, via the website online, text message to give, uh, or the boxes in the back. Those are all wonderful options. And because of your generosity, ministry continues to happen. And uh, I, got to, I got back just in time this week uh, to see Summer Service Week, uh, Summer Serve Week, uh, which was awesome to see almost 200 junior high kids, leaders, and high school helpers uh, serving our community, growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, what a beautiful thing. And, and your generosity, not only uh, of finances, but time and energy, volunteers make so much happen. So thank you for that. Continue to look for ways to serve. Uh, also, this morning after the service, we'll be doing a, a discussion time uh, around the spiritual disciplines, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, that'll be happening outside. We got a beautiful weather. It's cooled down in a wonderful way. So right by the coffee, there'll be another table and some chairs. We'll set up some chairs and have some discussion. And if you come, you'll be rewarded with sub sandwiches and chips. So if I'm not enough, uh, yeah, anyway, it'll be good. It'll be good. And we'll just discuss and see where the spirit leads. Uh, but with that, uh, let's enter a time of prayer. And this morning we'll be using the words from Psalm 32. Lord, we come to you and we listen to the words of the psalmist who writes, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Lord, we come to you this morning and we praise you for the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Lord, we come before you in worship and in prayer and as a community of faith. Lord, without guilt, without shame, because of what, Lord Jesus, you have accomplished. We praise you for the freedom and the grace that abounds in Jesus Christ. And as we pray that, Lord, we also recognize that, Lord, we are prone to, to hide our failures, to hide our, our sin and our sinfulness, our brokenness, not only from one another, but, Lord, from you. The psalmist continues in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Lord, what a, what a testimony, what an honest expression from the psalmist. We believe, David, of what happens when we, we hide from you. 
when, Lord, we feel like we need to hide our failures and our brokenness from you. But, Lord, you are a loving God. You are our loving Father in heaven. And just as we want our children to share their struggles with us, Lord, you long for us to share our struggles and our brokenness with you. And, Lord, bearing the weight of our sin is too much, far too much for us to bear on our own. The psalmist continues in verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wow, Lord, the freedom, the relief, Lord, we can almost feel a physical weight off our shoulders when we recognize the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus Christ. Lord, who went to the cross, who died on a cross so that our sin would not hold us down, but Lord, we'd have freedom and forgiveness in you. We thank you for this gospel, for this good news. It is why we are here. It is why we come to you, not, not as anything other than your children, your beloved children. Lord, may we be reminded of that truth this morning, that gift. The psalmist then says in verse six, therefore let all the faithful pray to you. And Lord, we come to you and we pray. And we thank you for the evidence of your grace that is made known to us in powerful ways. Lord, for the evidence of your grace this past week as family and friends surrounded and supported us in our struggles and in our grief. As we celebrated the life of someone we loved dearly and we lost. We thank you, Lord, for for the gift of healing from sickness, from recovery, the long journey of recovery from surgeries. We praise you for that. We thank you, God, for evidence of your grace and your love shown to us through students who gather in this place and are sent out into the community to, to love and to serve. Lord, young people who, who want to make an impact and, Lord, who are an example to each of us that life is so much more than just about ourselves, but it's about making a difference for the kingdom of God. Lord, may we be inspired by the example of our young people. We thank you for the evidence that Great Escape Camp and the other ministries that happen on this campus all the days of the week. And yet, Lord, we also continue to pray and we ask, Lord, that your grace and your power would break into our reality today. Lord, in individuals' lives who, Lord, are struggling in ways, multiple ways, some that are known, some, Lord, that are unknown. Lord, some struggles are so often in secret, and Lord, may they experience your grace and your love and find people to surround them and support them. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world, Lord, as we continue to look to you for our strength. Lord, we pray for, for a, a virus that is spiking once again. We pray, God, for, for relief and for healing. Lord, we pray, Lord, for a, a country that remains divided in a world that is filled with strife all around. And Lord, yet you call us to be your ambassadors in this world. And so, Lord, show us and reveal to us how we can be a light right where you've placed us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, where we work, where we, where we shop, where we enjoy leisure time. Lord, may we be a light that shines brightly to a world that desperately needs to know and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And may this time 
be part of that formation of our hearts and our souls. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, and God's people say together, amen and amen. Hey, once again, it is so good to be back. And I, and I mean that. I mean, West Michigan, it doesn't get much better. West Michigan in the summer. Um, how many of you love summer more than winter? Most. How many of you actually love winter more than summer? We got a few. Some winter sports. The seasons. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, we are continuing our, to work our way through the book of Acts, a series we're calling Devoted. Uh, again, just a, a, re a review. It is the biblical account of the early church as the Spirit expands this Jesus movement to the ends of the earth, the known earth, the known world was the Roman Empire, and we're continuing on that trajectory. This Jesus movement here in Acts 19 is referred to as the way, the way. So listen for that. We're going to be touching on that this morning. Uh, our focus this morning is Acts 19, verses 23 through 41. Just a little review of what leads up to that point. I got a little map on the screen for reference. Paul, once again, that's hard to see. Can you see that? Oh, maybe, okay, it's, it's a little, I'm looking at that screen, it's a little smaller, but a little map for reference. Once again, he starts uh, down here in uh, Antioch, starting point, you see that, in Syria, and he works his way through Asia Minor, that's really quickly summarized, and most of Acts chapter 19 takes place in Ephesus, in the province of Asia, western Turkey, can you see it up there? It's kind of right where Asia, right below that is Ephesus. And that's where the majority of this account takes place. Ephesus was a significant city in the ancient world. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But Ephesus is also a significant city for this early Jesus movement, the way, right? There's a whole book in the New Testament, a letter to the Ephesians, right, in the church in Ephesus. And uh, Paul spends a couple of years there, actually three years there. Uh, we're told in verse 10, he spends two years there teaching disciples of the way, right? Uh, raising up disciples and followers of Jesus. And then in Acts 19, verses 11 through 22, Luke records some interesting, an interesting series of events. There are these sons, seven sons of a Jewish high priest who are casting out demons, and we read this account where, where they use the name of Jesus and Paul to try to cast out this demon. And the, de the, the possessed man turns to them and says, I've heard of Jesus, and I've actually heard of Paul, but who are you? And this man beats them up and kicks them to the curb naked and bloody and bleeding. And I mean, it's, it's wild. And people see this account, and they're, and they're moved, and they're challenged, and actually people come to Jesus because of this. In fact, some sorcerers, magicians in Ephesus, uh, convert, uh, repent, and end up burning thousands and thousands, like incredibly valuable magician scrolls. Uh, this is all happening in Ephesus here in Acts 19. Now, all of this happening because of the way of Jesus does not, go ignore, does not go unnoticed and cannot be ignored, and it leads to what we're gonna read today, this morning in Acts verse 23. Things escalate pretty quickly. We're gonna read about that right now. If you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Acts 19, verses 23 through 41. 
About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's the way of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, that's a Greek goddess, prominent in the city of Ephesus, we'll talk more about her, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristocharis and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly in the theater was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And Father, we pray once again, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to your word, to your truth, so that, Lord, we would hear from you this morning. And that, Lord, from, in hearing from you, Lord, we'd be challenged in those areas where we need to be challenged. And, Lord, you'd comfort us in those areas where we need to be comforted. And in all these things, Lord, you'd be forming us more and more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. It's a heavy story. How about to lighten the mood a little bit? Let's talk about something else. How many sports fans out there? Any sports fans? Some of you might know where I'm going with this, but uh, 
we got some Michigan, you know, Michigan, great place, some great teams. Any uh, U of M fans? I don't mean to cause any division. Any Michigan State fans? Any Ohio State fans? There may be some sheep. This, yeah. How about Tigers or Lions, right? We, we got some, some great sports franchises in the state of Michigan. I think most of you know by now I, I was raised, actually born in Chicago, but raised in Wisconsin. And so all those teams that come from Wisconsin, I am a diehard fan. So this fall I might be wearing a piece of cheese on my head. I don't know. So I, that's a confession, you know. I, 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 I'm a, I got sports allegiance with all my Wisconsin teams. And, and so if anyone's been following the NBA, uh, there's a certain team from Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks, who made a run this summer, and they won the chip, as some say. They won the championship. It was 12 days ago. Uh, and I must tell you, it was an agonizing, emotional roller coaster for this fan. Uh, and Yvonne can attest I care way too much about sports. Just care way too much. I have way too much invested. Uh, yep, and I'm, and I'm guilty of that. Uh, but a little recap of the series. Bear with me. If you aren't into sports ball, just bear with me. It'll only take a minute. A couple series ago, a couple weeks ago, they played the, New, the Brooklyn Nets. They were the favored team in the NBA championship. The Bucks went down by two games. It's a best of seven. They lost the first two games. You got to win four. And it's like, oh, it's over. And, and then they won two games. And then all of a sudden, it's game five. You know what? Where I was on game, during game five? I was on a pastor's retreat with Pastor Bill and Dar Pastor Darwin and Aaron and other staff members. And game five, I'm in the basement of this lodge trying to keep it together while Pastor Aaron's sitting next to me. And I'm just like, and they lose, they lose the game. They don't look very good. They finally win game seven. I'm with my family in Springfield, Illinois, that one sun, and it was fantastic. Then the next series comes around. It's the Atlanta Hawks. They lose the first game, but then they come back. They're looking strong. They look like they're going to go to the finals. Giannis Antetokounmpo, do you know who that is? This is the Greek freak. The picture, they're all-star. They're, they're superstar. He has this horrific-looking injury, and I, just, I was looking back at the emails. I wrote to you about this in the emails. I thought the season was over. I was devastated. My st I'm, I'm just thinking it's all over. They end up winning that series without him and go to the final. I'm telling this is taking way too long. I apologize. I'm a little invested. But they go to the finals, and Giannis is back, and he looks fine. It's a miracle. And then they lose the first two games. All the sports pundits are saying it's over. The Bucks blow them out game three, and then... They win the next two games, closely nail-biters. Now I'm in California. Am I boring you yet? Okay. Now I'm in California. It's game five, and the Bucks are blowing this lead. They're down by, they're up by one. Suns have the ball, and their stars got it. I'm thinking, oh, my word, this is not going to end well. But the Bucks steal the ball from him, go down the court, and throw an alley-oop to their superstar who slams this alley-oop down. This is where it gets interesting. I'm, I'm with Yvonne's parents, my in-laws, and that dunk happens. I rip my shirt off. I'm bareback in the living room, jumping up and down. My mother-in-law's getting a kick out of it. My father-in-law's, like, cheering with me. They make the free throws. They win the games. I, I grab my father-in-law. I give him a hug, and I kiss him on the side of the head. Like, what's my problem? I care too much about this. Finally, game six rolls around. Now we're with the whole family, all of Yvonne's family, brothers, sisters, cousins, and we're at the, like, the pool, we're at, like, an RV resort, and so I'm outside at this, like, the pool with this giant TV, 
And I have to tell you, I am, I am so nervous. I couldn't even watch the first half. This is where I, I have a problem. I'm pacing and I'm sighing and I'm scoffing because they're making dumb decisions and my heart is racing and my stomach is in knots. And then by the end of it, they win. Bucks and six, baby. They win their first championship in my lifetime after 50 years. Piston fans, you remember 2004? Do you remember that feeling? So, I mean, I've been waiting for, this is not like, I, I remember 2001. I, anyway, whatever. This is like for me 20 years. Anyway, why do I bring all this up? I, am I just bringing this up so I can gloat about my team winning a championship? I promise you that's not the purpose. The reason I bring this up this morning is because this morning, do you know what we're talking about? Idolatry. Oh, right? Idolatry. We're talking about idolatry. Our hope this morning is to dig deeper into the context of Ephesus in the first century. What's behind the riot, that outbreak, that breaks out in Acts 19? When I consider the idolatry of Ephesus, then shift to our modern context, consider the idolatries of our time, maybe even consider some of the things that have hold of our hearts, like the Milwaukee Bucks for me, <laughs> and then allow the gospel to speak into that. So are you ready? We're gonna dig in. Let's jump into our text this morning, the idolatry of Ephesus. To understand why a riot erupts in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, it helps to know a little bit about the cultural landscape in the city and in the ancient world. Demetrius' words actually offer some insight, verse 26 and 27. On the screen is verse 27. He says this. This is an accusation against Paul. He says, this is the second part of his accusation. There is danger... Not only that our trade will lose its good name, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. You see, you can't talk about the ancient city of Ephesus without also mentioning the goddess Artemis. Demetrius is deeply concerned that the great goddess of Artemis would be discredited. And the reason being is that Artemis and Ephesians go together because there's this great temple to Artemis in the city of Ephesus. Now, we've already talked a little bit throughout this series about pagan worship and practices in the ancient Roman world. Uh, throughout this series, a couple weeks ago in Athens, right, there's an altar to an unknown god. But in Ephesus, it's all about Artemis. A little background on Artemis. Uh, she is the, the great Greek goddess uh, and, and the focus of Demetrius' concerns. That, right, there's this massive temple a massive temple in Ephesus. In fact, this temple to Artemis was the seventh wonder of the ancient world. You know the seven wonders of the ancient world? This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because this temple was massive and impressive, right? Uh, Greek mythology taught that, that Artemis was the daughter of Zeus, the twin sister of Apollo. Uh, there was a reference in the text that the image fell from heaven, right? There's a story that a meteor came down and crashed in the earth right around Ephesus and they took that meteor believing it was Artemis and put it in the temple. That's where some of that language comes from. That's the backstory. But she was the goddess of the hunt. 
but she's also the patron protector of young girls. In Ephesus, the emphasis of Artemis' role was more on fertility and protecting women through childbirth, but in Greek, some of the emphasis was more on uh, the, uh, the goddess of the hunt, and you see a little picture there. Now, there's some irony there. If you look at that picture, you'll notice she's often depicted with a quiver of arrows. That's what she's pulling out of, out of her back there, right? But she's often also depicted with deer. That's a buck. Does anyone get, like, there's some irony there? Like, oh, a buck, really? Okay, God's convicting me. Uh, during this series as I'm preparing for it. But worship of Artemis is an important part of life in Ephesus, in the province of Asia, right? People would pray to Artemis before the hunt. They'd make sacrifices to her to be grateful for a successful hunt. Obviously, food's important, so that's a, a primary thing for people. Also, she was the goddess of childbirth. Now, now think about that. Childbirth's pretty common, right, in all times. And also in the ancient world, childbirth was, was very dangerous, way more dangerous than it is today. And so this is a significant goddess to protect women and children during childbirth. In fact, if, if a child was healthy, Artemis would get credit. If something happened during childbirth, Artemis would be to blame. You do not want to upset the pagan gods because if you do, things will not go well for you in pagan religious culture. So why are they so upset? Because the goddess Artemis might be robbed of her divine majesty. There is a religious, idolatrous concern happening among the people in Ephesus. But there's more, right? There's another dynamic. There's an, because Artemis, and particularly the temple of Artemis, promised economic prosperity for the people, and cultural relevance. There's a, there's a picture of, that's not a, that's a model, that's a, a small-scale model of the temple uh, to Artemis, but that can, I mean, increase that by, you know, whatever. It's, it's much bigger. All that remains right now uh, of the temple of Artemis in Ephesus is just one pillar and a foundation, but you can kind of get the scope. But the temple of Artemis, you have to understand, drove the economy in Ephesus, did you, catch, did you catch that in, in, in the accusations? These silver workers and craftsmen depend on the worship and veneration of Artemis for their business and livelihood. They are making idols, right, and, and altars to Artemis. And so if, if she's threatened, their livelihood is threatened. The temple itself also functioned like a bank, in the city of Artemis, where large sums of money were stored there. Furthermore, the temple of Artemis put Ephesus on the map. Ephesus was relevant because of this temple in many respects. There is culture and reputation that is deeply connected to Artemis and her veneration in the ancient Roman world. And here's something that's telling. How long has Paul been in Ephesus? At this point, he's been there for two years at least. He's been there over two years and been doing all kinds of things, causing quite a stir. People are being healed of illnesses. Evil spirits are being cast out of people. A huge number of sorcerers confess and burn their valuable scrolls. There has been a lot happening. People are coming to faith and converting and giving their lives to Jesus, but the riot comes. When does the riot come? The riot is instigated when people's money and reputation are getting negatively impacted. 
you can do your Jesus thing all you want as long as it doesn't impact my life, my bottom line, my livelihood. Now that starts sounding a little more familiar to our context. And that's what I want to do now is look at our context. Let's draw some parallels to our current cultural moment. What are the idols of the modern West, the United States, the modern West? Now it's important to mention that increasingly, we've talked about this in weeks past, increasingly our, our, the Western culture is becoming more and more secular. And so this idea of other gods or, or pagan worship, people would scoff at that notion, but that doesn't mean that there are not things that we give our hearts to. Over the last two weeks, I, I read a couple books. One of the books I was reading uh, was Tim Keller's book. I reread it, Counterfeit Gods. He writes this in the introduction. He writes this, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And this line's key, anything you, see, you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything we look to to give us what only God can provide. Boy, that broadens what could be considered an idol. Tim Keller in his book continues, goes on to mention common idols in our modern context. He wrote this in 2009, shortly after the economic crash in 2008. But he goes on to mention money, love, and power, and sex, and success. And I guess you could throw in your favorite sports team in there. Guilty, right? And certainly all of this can capture our hearts in unhealthy and idolatrous ways, but I think in our current moment there's something deeper that has a stronger hold on many of us. Ideas, ideologies, philosophies, narratives, ideologies. The idolatry that I want to just talk about, it's not the only idolatry in our modern context, but modern ideologies. Tim Keller writes later on in his book, ideology can be used to refer to any coherent set of ideas about a subject, but it can also have a negative connotation closer to its cousin word, idolatry. An ideology, like an idol, is a limited, partial account of reality that is raised to the level of final word on things, where that their school or party has the real and complete answer to society's problems. Their school or party has the real and complete answer to society's problems where ideas get elevated to a place that they can't carry the burden. Now remember, all idols, not all idols, but not all idols are made from bad or evil things. Oftentimes it's something that is good that we, that we elevate to a, to a status that it does not deserve. Right, those things that I mentioned, right? Sex is a gift from God in the proper context, in the, right, in the proper vessel. Things like money is kind of like a neutral thing. It's not necessarily good or evil, but it could get elevated to a status of idolatry. Sports teams, right? Sports teams are not bad. In fact, I think sports are a wonderful thing. It brings people together. Young people learn teamwork, uh, right? It can be very good, but when it has an unhealthy hold on people's hearts... I think we've all been there. It can get kind of nasty, whether it's a little league baseball game or a professional sporting event. It can get pretty nasty when it has an unhealthy hold on people's hearts. And the same is true with ideas. 
right? There's, there are a lot of good ideas, right, that have become destructive ideologies when they're elevated to ultimates, right? And it seems more and more our modern ideologies, ideologies have become idolatrous. When we give our hearts completely over to them and look to them to offer what they cannot offer us. Now, there's a whole host of different ideologies that people ascribe to that become idols that we could mention. Probably the easiest one right now is our politics, right? Our polarized politics where it becomes the ultimate and the other are evil. We've talked about that. We could talk about other economic strategies or whatever like socialism or, or even capitalism, which elevated to a certain extent can be idolatrous. We can talk about ideals of progress as if progress is always good, right? That can become an idol. Or we can go on the other side where we're nostalgic, where we just need to get back to the past and that can become idolatrous. But the one I want to mention this morning that I think demands more time than we have here, but I just want to introduce you to this idea. It's not a new idea, um, but it's an ideology that's rampant in our current culture, expressive individualism. And hopefully someday we'll, we'll have some time to kind of go more in depth. And we have some resource pages uh, on the website where you can learn more, some blogs and some resources that you can look into this. But expressive individualism, again, individualism is not all bad, right? In fact, the Christian movement, Jesus Christ, valued individuals beyond, for the first time, right? Jesus Christ said that all people regardless of class or, or race or, or gender or any of these things, they're all created in the image of God, right? And so, so valuing people, that's a good thing. But when taken to the extreme, which we've gotten to today, it, be, it becomes the dominant ideology of our modern secular world in the West. One that elevates the individual above all else. Where the highest good in our culture right now is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition and self-expression. We don't have time to read the quote that's on the website, but those, those little sayings on the bottom, I think, capture expressive individualism really well. Be true to yourself. You do you. And that becomes the highest moral compass based on, what is it based on? Individual desires and feelings. And according to individu indi expressive individualism, anything that restricts this highest good should be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. This is the ideological waters that we swim in. And it impacts the whole spectrum, right? In different ways, granted, but it impacts all. And, and, and the problem with these ideologies is that they promise things like security and prosperity and happiness and relevance. If I can just follow my heart, that'll lead to happiness. If our country just follows this political platform, we'll find security and hope. But just as the people of Ephesus were looking to Artemis who promised economic prosperity and cultural relevance, we too, quick, we too quickly look to our ideologies and political convictions to fulfill similar promises. And guess what? They can't answer those promises. They can't fulfill what they promise. Notice what happens in Ephesus. The gospel revealed the bankruptcy of their idolatry. 
Luke calls it a great disturbance. I, I love that language. The gospel begins and continues to rock the boat, reveals the failures of society. About that time, verse 23, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The gospel disturbs. Again, Demetrius' words are helpful as his accusations against Paul reveal the truth. Verse 26, the beginning of his accusations, he says this, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. And here's where I want to focus. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes into the city of Ephesus through Paul by the power of the Spirit and exposes the whole system that these idols are made by human hands. And not only does the statues are made by human hands and then the craftsmen and the silversmiths, what they're making are made by human hands, but this whole system, this whole system that, that keeps Ephesus going is precariously held up by human hands. And the system and Artemis cannot offer the people what they promise. Artemis cannot make good on the promise of a successful hunt. Artemis cannot make good on the promise of, of a healthy childbirth, right? And friends, in the same way, the gospel is a great disturbance to our modern ideologies. The gospel reminds us that these things will not bring us happiness and they cannot save us. Paul writes at the beginning of the book of Romans, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, why? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. If we are giving our hearts our minds over to things that are created, whether by God or created and constructed by human hands, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Because the truth is, Artemis cannot save us. Magic in the ancient world or money throughout time cannot save us. Ancient, the Roman Empire could not save them. The United States of America cannot save us. Human advances in science and medicine and technology have their limits. They cannot save us. The right politicians can't save us. Progressive or conservative platforms cannot save us. A Christian nation isn't going to save us, nor is a woke nation going to save us. And guess what? Expressive individualism, at the end of the day, we cannot save ourselves. No matter how much we follow our heart and be true to ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. That will not bring us happiness or contentment. Only Jesus Christ, who gave his life for each and every one of you, can save and heal and bring contentment. Can I get an amen to that? And here's the good news. The gospel offers a better way. You see, in Acts 19, did you notice this at the end? When the system begins to unravel and the failures of their idolatry is revealed, do you see what happens? People are, are stirred into kind of this blind, defensive outrage. Verse 32, we read this. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I love that. But for two hours, 
They started shouting in unison, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Does any of that sound familiar? Blindly defending people or ideas or whatever it is in a rage? You know, could some of the, the outrage that we've witnessed in recent history be the result of blindly defending idols and ideologies that have or will fail us? I think to say yes would be too simplistic, but, but let's face it, the ideology, ideologies of our day, whatever they are, don't seem to be working. No matter what that ideology or ideology is, they don't seem to be working. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Because it's when the experiment of the secular West is failing, that's when we can reveal the truth of another way. The gospel the Jesus way. We need a better way, and the good news is we have a better way. It's the way of Jesus. One founded not in the freedom of the individual, but the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. A way that comes not, not found in following our own hearts or preserving our individual freedoms, but found in following Jesus Christ and actually submitting our will and our freedom to his way because it's far better than our hearts because our hearts will deceive us. Our feelings will deceive us. Our mind and our intellect will deceive us. In fact, the polarization that we're witnessing right now is proof of that because everyone thinks they're right and yet everyone seems to disagree. Here's some language that we've been wrestling with in leadership. What is the Jesus way? Some, we're trying to capture that and, and trying to form vision, and you'll be hearing more about this. We're, it's this all work in progress, but I think I'm okay to, to share this, right, Jeff? You know, some of our elders here. Some of the language we're, we're looking at is, what is the Jesus way? It's about being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ being found in my identity, my purpose, my contentment. How do I know who I am? It's, being, it's in Jesus Christ. And out of that identity comes the ongoing spiritual formation that develops character, develops heart, right? And then that leads to ongoing obedience, following Jesus Christ and mission to the world. That's some of the language, the Jesus way. It's not grounded in myself. No, I'm found in Jesus Christ. These are some of the things that we're, we're wrestling with and working together. I'm excited about it. You're gonna hear more about it. I hope you're excited about it. At least spur some imagination about these things because we have a better way found in Jesus Christ. See, all these other ideologies and idols that we pursue in order to find identity, purpose, significance, hope, and happiness, the truth is they cannot ultimately satisfy. They cannot make good on what they promise. 
And to be honest, that was one of the most profound things that I was reminded of 12 days ago when my favorite sports team won the championship. Most years, I'm reminded of this truth when my team loses in disappointing and heartbreaking fashion. But it was interesting to learn the same truth when my team actually won. Because when that game ended, and I'm standing there next to the pool in San Diego, right? And when that game ended, you know what I thought I would feel? I thought I would feel just complete euphoria and joy, and I thought I would just be hugging and kissing everyone. But do you know what the strongest emotion that I felt in that moment was? Relief. <sighs> they won. They did it. I don't have to go through this again. I mean, sure, I was pumped about the win, and I'm, and I'm still excited about it and all that, and, and, and in some ways this is kind of fun, but I felt relief. And then I felt all these drinks being poured on my head by my brother-in-law, and I'm like, what the heck? I didn't do anything, right? But I was struck because as a fan who admittedly invests too much in cheering for his teams, invests too much in my heart, winning, winning it all, still failed to bring all that I hoped it would bring. Because life goes on, and kids get sick, and vacation plans get changed, right? Life goes on. And the same is true about all of our idols and ideologies when we ask them to do more than they're capable of giving and doing. Only Jesus can bring true contentment and joy. Only Jesus can bring salvation, healing, and true freedom. And let's pray and ask that we look to him for those things. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Not only the truth about you and your, your, your grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Lord, the truth about each of us. That Lord, we, we continue to wrestle with things that capture our hearts. Just as people did for thousands of years, Lord, we, we think we've, we've come a long way and things are different, of course, and there's a lot of beautiful things in our world today, but Lord, our hearts still get captured by things that are less than you. Because Lord, you've, you've wired us and you've designed us to give our hearts over to something and Lord, if we don't give our hearts over to you, we're gonna find something else. And Lord, even when we give our hearts to you, Lord, it's so easy to be captivated by the promises that the world tells us, whether it's in different ideologies or whether it's in money or politics or whatever it is, Lord. It's so easy to be captured by what those things promise. And, and Lord, we're inundated by thousands and thousands of messages every single day products or people or things that are promising to bring happiness, contentment, and fulfillment. But Lord, the truth is that only you can satisfy. 
And Lord, at the end of the day, all those things will fail to deliver. But Lord, our deepest need is you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if we have you, and if we lean into you, Lord, we find true contentment. And so Lord, as we sing the words of this song, Lord, may we be reminded of our need for you. Keep doing that work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing.
Just a reminder that we'll be meeting outside for fellowship and donuts, as well as some small group discussion. Uh, this week, if you got the email, um, uh, we, the, the focus for spiritual discipline was confession um, as a communal practice, but, I, but I also as an individual practice. And um, I, it was so fitting how God just works all these things together. And this morning, just in the quiet, um, confessing idols. Um, and I share kind of a silly one, you know, sports teams. But there's so many other things that capture my heart. Uh, the need to be liked and approved by others. Um, that stinking phone that keeps your attention. That, that makes me miss things with my kid. Like, there's so many things. And, um, and so if... if if you didn't have a chance to, to practice that, um, I'd encourage you to do that. What are the things that are capturing our hearts, that are taking the place of God? What are the things that are taking our time away from things that are more important, that are uplifting? Um, I encourage you to spend some time. By the way, that's not what the small group's gonna be. <laughs> We're not gonna share all of our sins with one another. Um, we're gonna eat some sub sandwiches and talk about the disciplines, but... It's good and important stuff to do. But as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. God of my presence, God of my future, you write my story.